Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We got a very special guest today. Author of Supreme Disorder, constitutional lawyer, former Cato Institute uh, member, Ilya Shapiro. How's it going? Going well. Good to be with you. Interesting, uh, interesting podcast you have here. You think so? <laughs> uh, so uh, give us a, a lowdown on who you are and your a, a bit, you know, a brief history of Ilya Shapiro. How about that? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm now with the I was with Cato for nearly 15 years. Um, then had a, what some have referred to as a brief, but significant stint at the Georgetown university law center center for the constitution, uh, where if you Google me, most of what comes up on the first page is how I tweeted. People didn't like my tweet criticizing president Biden's use of race and sex in his Supreme court nomination criteria. Uh, I was ultimately, uh, suspended with pay while they investigated my tweet they cleared me, uh, but the report I got from the DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Office, uh, uh, made clear that uh, my time was short. They were looking to uh, fire me in the future for any time someone claimed offense to what I did. So I quit and uh, have been using this this moment, this spotlight I've been given to shine a light on the rot in, in academia. Meanwhile, I joined the Manhattan Institute, where I direct constitutional studies, uh, and I work at the intersection of the legal, political, academic, uh, and media worlds. Um, you mentioned the book that uh, just came out in paperback, Supreme Disorder on Judicial Nominations and the Politics of the America's Highest Court. I'm also working on a book now on the illiberal takeover of legal education. That'll be out about a year from now. And as we you know, learn, it seems like every week there's something. Uh, most recently, the disruption of the speech by the federal judge at Stanford Law School. We can get into that uh, if you like, but there's there definitely uh, weird, wild stuff going on uh, in law schools and in broad, broader higher ed. Sure. I, I think it's just so easy to talk about this because, uh, as you said, sitting at the intersection, I mean, think about it this way. It's um, <clears throat> one of the most, um, I guess, consequential positions in America is being involved in constitutional law of some sort, obviously, because it affects literally everybody. And a lot of those um, a lot of those data streams, if you want to call it that, have kind of been captured by this identity politics stuff at this point. And, you know, uh, we've seen it in a lot of other areas, but I think it's very obvious the, the, the risk involved here because you're attacking something that is meant to be a meritocracy in order to uphold the rights of, of our citizens um, with nonsense, basically, right? Yeah, that's the, to, to put it mildly. I mean, I, I would say that the, the DEI stuff, I mean, the, the words themselves are or should be unobjectionable, you know, intellectual or other diversity, people with different perspectives uh, to bring to bear on, on a problem or or equity, which is a centuries old concept in Anglo-American law about uh, courts being uh, courts of equity and making fair rulings, that sort of thing. Fairness, who can object to that? Inclusion, people feel welcome they should be feel uh, welcome and that the, that their um that their worth uh is is respected whether it be at an employer or a, a, a campus or, or or what have you but those terms have been perverted and in, indeed in an orwellian way they they mean the opposite of what they actually are supposed to mean and so these these offices these structures these uh, indoctrination sessions uh, uh go against intellectual diversity prevent equal opportunity and exclude those who deviate from a rigid orthodoxy. Um, and the result uh, uh, is that DEI fails on its own terms. That is when we've seen uh, surveys of, of campus climate and students feel, and professors feel uh, less included, they feel less comfortable, less welcome, uh, and, and feel that there's more tension, whether based on racial or, or other lines. And so you have this, uh, I don't want to get into a correlation causation mm -hmm. debate, but as, as the DEI officers have exploded, in the last five years, we, we have a decline of campus culture. Yeah, 100%. And it's um, in the same way that in the same way that the catastrophizing that goes on in the broader culture, um, as Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff say in their book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, we're teaching kids to unlearn good lessons on how to cope, right? So we're teaching kids to catastrophize instead of um, and instead of mitigate 
uh, our, our mitigate the, the force that something that happens in our life might have. Um, it's, this is exactly what cognitive behavioral therapy teaches, right? But they're teaching the opposite. And in the same way, <clears throat> the censorship on campuses is achieving what I think is the, the primary goal of social programming, which is manufacturing consent. And a big part of that is to, to train people to self-censor, right? Like instead of, it, it, it looks very authoritarian for, uh, a governing body, whether it's the state or, uh, you know, the, the dean of admission or the, the dean at a, at a university or whatever it is to say, Hey, you can't say these things or you can't, because w when somebody says you can't say something, what they're really saying is you can't think that thing. Right. Um, that seems very outwardly authoritarian and obvious to a lot of people. But when you create a climate where, you know, you're deputizing people to basically censor on your behalf, then it seems like, oh, that's just the culture now, right? And you're you're out of lockstep with the culture, or you're not. Uh, how do people like to put that? Uh, you're you're on the wrong side of history. I think is right. One of the common right. Phrases. And 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 you mentioned an interesting uh, wrinkle there. Uh, Greg Lukianoff, John Haidt, who, who do they're friends of mine. They do, they do wonderful work. Sure do. Uh, Greg is coming out with a sequel. Um, uh, co-authored with uh, uh, Ricky Schlott, I believe mm -hmm. her name is. She's an yep. editor at the New York Post. Uh, called canceling uh, the, the 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 canceling of the American mind, mm. uh, but the, the the key point from their earlier book from five years ago is and, and John Haidt keeps writing on this. He has a book coming out too. Uh, is the not just the left right or postmodern critical studies critical race theory what have you, but the the therapeutic nature of um, what the bureaucrats in these these and other offices are now bringing, and so uh, to again invoke this 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 disruption, this protest against the federal judge at Stanford last Thursday, um, the the president and and dean have since apologized to the judge. They haven't uh, committed to taking any steps against the uh, the DEI dean that 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 harangued him or the students or anything like that. But they also said, well. For those students in the Federalist Society who hosted his event, this is the conservative libertarian law students uh, organization, uh, you know, we have resources uh, to help you, to support you that you can turn to, including the same DEI dean. But it, it's, you know, they don't need their hands held. They don't need this therapeutic behavior. It's not that, you know, the so-called harm from speech and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, threatening the existent, you know, they don't believe that we should exist, all, all this kind of weird language. It's, it, comes from, it comes from the world of therapy. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's heterodox to the essential knowledge and truth based what should be the knowledge and truth based mission of any uh, institution of, of 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 higher knowledge. Mm. Uh, it makes it very hard to fight against because again, this is not just you know a continuation of you know, complaint conservative decades old complaints about the left wing takeover of the academy, Berkeley in the '60s or what have you. This latest mode is this weird postmodern therapized stuff. Uh, and finally, there is, you know, starting to be uh, a backlash, but it's uh, we, we've gone on a tangent in our culture. Most people point to about 10 years ago or so based on how kids are raised, based on social media, all, all sorts of different things. Um, and it's a it's a much more complicated story, uh, therefore requiring more complicated remedies uh, than simply a, a left right rebalancing. Sure. I don't I don't uh, buy into the whole left right thing for a for a while now. I, I think it's been kind of used politically, I guess, since, uh, you know, the, the, the Newt Gingrich era when he became speaker, that's, I think that's kind of pe people look to a couple of years ago when, when the heat kind of turned up on this partisan stuff, but I think it was quite a bit before that, in my opinion. Uh, and you could tell, um, <clears throat> but I want to ask you, you said something to the effect of, uh, blurring the heterodoxy makes it more difficult to fight. Cause you don't really know what you're fighting. Right. And all, all of these um, kind of nefarious ideas are couched in very positive, and I, and I didn't think about it before, but it certainly is therapy language. Um, and, and that's nothing new. Look, we have the Inflation Reduction Act, and I'm not entirely sure what that does to fight inflation, right? You can just <laughs> name a bill, whatever the fuck you want, and then do whatever. But <clears throat> one of the questions that I get a lot from people in our audience is, um, where do you go to find like legit information? And I think it be betrays a, a broader problem with our society these days, which is uh, that the we need and we may need uh, a new epistemology. You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean mm -hmm. for something to be 
correct? And what sources do we go to for that? Because if you look on social media, you're going to find, depending on if you're on Twitter or Facebook, different fact checkers saying different things. And we can't agree on what time of day it is or, or anything anymore. So, you know, it used to be that academia was that. It used to be that constitutional law was that. It was a place where there were debates for sure, but at some point we came to some sort of resolution or at least uh, provided a series of possible explanations that we can study into the future. Now it is complete. It is a complete free for all. Nobody knows what's what. And that, again, to your point, blurring the heterodoxy like that makes it uh, that that is that is essentially an insurgency, right? That's why you fight an insurgency that way. You you take your people out of uniform and you have them blend into the the broader audience, but you can still feel the influence. I, no, I, th I think that's right. Um, uh, there's a dearth of, of critical thinking skills. I mean, uh, colleges that are that are supposed to inculcate uh, people with the ability to discern uh, about what information is is real or not, and yet. Um, it's those who are the most educated or the most credentialed that tend to be, have uh, reflect uh, the biggest biases, uh, both on the right and the, and the left. Um, our, our discourse is in, in an echo chamber. It's in a, uh, enveloped in a toxic cloud. And um, we, we can't disagree without uh, anathematizing the person we're disagreeing with, canceling, uh, because the idea is, I think part of this is, as America has secularized, politics has replaced religion as kind of the font of the, you know, to fill the hole in, in, in our souls of, that, that humans have craved since since time immemorial. And then, you know, your political enemies, well, that, that they're, they're just bringing, they're not just wrong, they're evil. They're, they're bringing sacrilege and they're not, uh, their heretical thoughts aren't, aren't worth listening to. And that, that's, I think, um, it's become a, a religious uh, struggle, uh, you know, uh, without the religious, without the, the theological dimension, really. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Sectarian, you know, I mean, it's, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I like that phrase. We can't disagree with someone without anathematizing them because that to me is kind of, uh, Frank, we had, we had a conversation with one of my buddies, uh, last week about this, uh, his name's Rudy Reyes. He was a re uh, recon Marine and he was talking about the indoctrination process, in the Marine Corps and how they, intentionally dehumanize you at first so they can rebuild you into what they want. But then when it's time to deploy, there are a lot of steps taken to dehumanize the enemy as well. And we mm -hmm. call that uh, battle battlefield preparation, right? And, and combat operations. That's what we call that. And, you know, what kind of discourse do we have if it is contentious just for the sake of being contentious, right? I mean, it, it's that that isn't really it's certainly not a meritocracy. We're not going to arrive at any kind of answer. People just seem to get further entrenched in their own beliefs, which is, you know, very interesting to me because a lot of our fans are <clears throat> very conservative, libertarian. Some of them are libertarian. A lot of them are very conservative and they still, you know, I, I still f see a lot of people supporting uh, Trump, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that, but refusing to kind of, articulate or even recognize some of the huge mistakes. Um, I wonder from your perspective, what that says about the broader culture. Like if you, you as a constitutional lawyer, you got to be pretty objective. That's kind of the point, right? Uh, as a mathematician, you have to be pretty objective as a physicist, so on. But as a political scientist, maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, not not willing to to hear uh, arguments or you know as the facts change as events progress, mm. you have to um, you know figure out uh, you know adjust your own thinking as as appropriate. Uh, and you would think the biggest knock against Trump was would, would be that you know you want to win, don't you? No matter how how right you think he might be, if if mm. he can't win, uh, then that sort of uh, defeats the the whole point. But uh, um, you know, it's 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 frustrating as an observer of, of the Republican Party that it seems like we're, we're still arguing over the 2020 uh, election rather than, you know, what's your what's your prescription for the future? Um, but that's a that's a separate discussion. Sure. Uh, um, and you're uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you are a, uh, a libertarian. Is that correct? 
Well, I'm not a big L libertarian. Mm. That, that party is probably even more screwed up than the Republican Party uh, or the Democratic Party is. Mm. But uh, I, I, I sometimes call myself a classical liberal. Uh, mm. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a constitutionalist. Uh, you know, if you, some people call me conservative, some people call me uh, libertarian. Uh, I've uh, you know, g- give me the Federalist Papers and and John Locke and the Founding Fathers and all that good stuff. You know, a- adding in some some Goldwater and Reagan and and uh, some more modern uh, authors and, and and that's about it. So somewhere uh, on in the uh, in the uh, I guess I guess center right, but I, I don't like mm-hmm. those labels either. Yeah, yeah. And and in fact, the Manhattan Institute, you know, Cato is is an explicitly libertarian organization. Manhattan Institute doesn't label itself ideological. We talk about free markets and entrepreneurship and rule of law and things like that. Um, and and there's a, a broad uh, spectrum, really. It's been it's kind of interesting um, of, of uh, different kinds of people that work there. But classical liberal is probably the biggest umbrella that 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 embraces most people. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, uh, explanation because. When I ask, when, when people tell me they're libertarian, one, I don't know what that means sometimes because some people who are nerdy about it um, are referring specifically to like Austrian economics, right? Yeah. And then some yeah. people who talk about it are um, just Republican federalists. You know what I mean? People who right. respect the Republic but want federalism, which is to say more power at the lowest possible level. Um so, you know, or the, the short the shorthand used to be, you know, you know, in, all in the in the pre Trump era. Now, yeah. if things are scrambled because there's libertarian populists, whatever that means. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> some shorthand was, you know, re- Republicans or conservatives who smoke pot or, or who are gay or something mm-hmm. like that. But that's yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, certainly things are a lot different now. And uh, I, I agree with you. The liberty. I think it turns a lot of people off to the idea of classical liberalism, the, uh, the libertarian party and how they operate. Frankly, a, a, f- a federal or national libertarian party doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it, it's, I, I don't, I don't get the point. I ask people that all the time. Like, Hey, at the LP national, especially on Twitter, I'm like, why did, why does, why do you think you need to exist? And they're like, well, to influence politics at a broader level. Like that's not what libertarianism really is. Is it? <laughs> I get mixed, well, mixed responses from that, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So let's jump in a little bit. I, I want to ask you about the attack on, so we, we, we discussed the universities a little bit and how it's kind of being, uh, not, not kind of, how it's been shifted culture wise into a place where it's, where you don't learn critical thinking, where you're not, it's not okay to ask pointed questions or a place where you're certainly not going to get the benefit of the doubt or, or, um, the principle of charity applied to your, uh, to your comments. And you, you've been through a very specific version of that at some point, And it led to a lot of things happening. So you were not thrilled about as, as pretty much everybody who's listening to me right now, uh, we're not thrilled about the idea that Biden before, uh, uh, nominating Kentonji Brown Jackson, specifically said that he only he would only consider candidates who were black women right which is stupid obviously but um you you had something to say about that you you said that your comments were ineloquent but i think it was pretty clear what you were trying to say just you know the the piece yeah i was i was i was i was doom scrolling twitter late at night not a bad practice and fired off a a hot take and yeah, I didn't didn't phrase it the way i would if i'm writing an op-ed for the wall street journal or, or something like that uh, i used the the phrase uh, lesser black woman in the sense that, uh, you know, I thought, well, if I was a Democratic president, I would pick this judge, uh, Sri Srinivasan, chief judge of the D.C. Circuit, who happens to be an Indian American immigrant as mm-hmm. well. So we got diversity points and all that, uh, but not according to the latest hierarchy of intersectionality. And so I said we'd le- end up with a, a lesser black woman, meaning everybody else in my mind, if I've determined mm-hmm. that, you know, this judge is the best, everyone else is lesser or less qualified. That's how it turned out. And there was a big firestorm, uh, especially on Twitter, of course. But who cares about Twitter? The, 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 you know, it wouldn't have mattered if I was just a Cato, but I was five days away from joining Georgetown. And so people called for my head and it ended up, uh, you know, the, 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 the dean called a uh, more than four month long investigation. And it's, it's farcical, uh, really. Um, and they, they ultimately determined something. They, they paid a, a big law firm a bunch of money. And finally, some junior associate looked at the calendar and saw that I hadn't been an employee when I tweeted. Uh, and so the, all these policies under which they were investigating me didn't apply. Uh, and 
Uh, but, uh, you know, I celebrated that technical victory, but then when I, when I read the fine print, uh, they made clear that, uh, and not just to me, they made clear to everyone that, uh, and, you know, anytime you step out of line, then, then you're subject to discipline. So I thought I, I'm not going to be part of that. And, and I left. Um, and it's, you know, I didn't think I was naive going into my job at Georgetown. I speak on college and law school campuses a lot. I, you know, I, I follow politics a lot. Uh, this is, you know, I work at Think Tank and this is what I do. Uh, and yet I, I just, for some reason, uh, this still happened to me. Mm. Uh, and uh, if it can happen to someone like me, you know, I'm, I'm not Ben Shapiro. I'm not related, uh, except back at Sinai, perhaps, uh, despite <laughs> our names. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos or some of these other yeah. rabble rousers that kind of just provoke for the sake of provocation. And if something like that can happen to me, then, uh, Good Lord. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I haven't had to change any of my views for, for, for sure. I mean, I've, I've been a free speech advocate and, and all that for a long time. Uh, but my career has definitely reoriented towards uh, attacking this, this evil of the bureaucratization and, and the, um, and the DEI um, postmodern theory uh, that has taken over um, uh, higher ed and, and other institutions um you know on top of that i'm still doing my regular thing filing briefs to the supreme court on 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 the dormant commerce clause and the second amendment and all these other things but uh uh what i'm the reason I, you're interviewing me the reason i get a lot of uh, attention is is because this is constantly in the news and people care about education both k-12 and higher ed a whole lot these days um and uh you know i'm 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 in all of the above uh, when looking at at solutions so i've proposed with chris rufo model legislation to to defund DI structures and get rid of diversity statements and things like that. Um, you know, I've also talked to deans a fair bit and say, look, you're very good at inculcating the values of public service and inclusion and, you know, whatever else you want to inculcate uh, as, a, as a law school dean. Well, you can go back to this bread and butter stuff about civil discourse and free speech and due process and things like that. And I also, you know, if judges want to boycott certain law schools because they're, they're illiberal or they're hostile to speech, all power to them. I, I think, uh, you know, there need to be a, a heterodox pushback to this heterodox uh, problem that we're facing. This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture. You can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee, whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean, or if you use a Keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wide uh, array of options for that. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, use the code CITIZEN, and get 20% off your first order. This episode of Citizen is also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get... Uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months. That's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best. The mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Yeah, it's uh, the, certainly we're, we're on the decline in that regard. Um, and it is good. We like I try to keep people informed on that because it's kind of hard to follow. You know what I mean? Like you hear a lot of anecdotal stuff about, oh, this – this conservative speaker got ran off campus or this kid got suspended for this thing or that thing or whatever. But, you know, when you see uh, the aggregate data, the policy in action, the opinions of people and how it's enforced, 
in academia right now, it is very problematic. I mean, we, we need smart people in this country. You know, we need people that are smarter than the things we're building so they can continue building them. And I don't just mean engineers. I mean, you know, social structures as well. And it seems like these folks are captured. What do you, what do you think that is? What pressure exactly does some, someone like Georgetown face that they have to do this? Because it seems like it's an intentional – look, 10 years ago, you were a regular guest on uh, MSNBC and not in an ironic – we're bringing you on, not like we're bringing you on here to be, to beat you up kind of way. It was because you're a fucking expert at what you do. You know what I mean? And now it's like probably not going to happen. They're just going to yell at you the whole time. <laughs> so what do you, it, it seems like there's this concerted effort to classify everyone as something and draw, you know, lines between people and stuff like that. And, and may, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's just uh coincidental. No, but it I, seems it's, like it's that's a, intentional. It's a skewing and narrowing of the Overton window, the permissible range of policy views. Um, and it's, it seems to be an, an impatience or an inability to grapple with uh, opposing ideas. Anyone who challenges you, especially on issues declared sensitive, uh, you know, race, sex, but there are some others. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, new stuff like, you know, in a, in a criminal law class, uh, a lot of professors have abandoned abandoned teaching uh, the law surrounding rape altogether because it's a minefield that they just can't uh, they can't navigate. Um, I don't know whether that what this says about the uh, you know how I don't think it's simply a matter you know each generation says that the kids coming up behind them just uh, you know are terrible. The kids these days, you know, mm -hmm. people have been saying that since since ancient Greece, mm -hmm. right? There are writings of Plato and Aristotle about like the kids these days. They just don't get it. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, it's something, it's, it's more than that. It's the molly coddling it's, it, and, and the, the placating of such illiberal tendencies by leadership and not because university leaders, presidents, provosts, deans are all of a sudden social justice warriors or woke mm -hmm. radicals. They're not, they're spineless cowards. And they see that there is a cost to going against the, the illiberal radicals. And there's not to um to standing up to it uh so i mean real change will come when the vast middle or kind of the the the, the normal people you know online they're called normies or what have you but the people who just want to go about their lives and you know take care of their families do their jobs you know study maybe have some fun in college get a job at the end mm. um uh you know until that kind of average per ordinary person is activated and start saying you know this emperor has no clothes and even worse it's you know harming my experience and devaluing my my credential and uh, all, all the rest of it, which I think we're starting to see signs mm. of, uh, but that's really what's going to provoke change. It's not uh, you know adding the marginal person to my center right broad umbrella coalition of classical liberals or whatever mm. who are you know uh, inside the Beltway politically active already. No, it's 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 about broader social change. And once these university leaders or corporate leaders, what have you, see that, uh, oh, that's actually a, a minority and there is a cost to going against what's in the majority's uh, uh, interests, um, that's when we'll see things change. And, you know, I was a little too pessimistic six or eight months ago. So I, I resigned from Georgetown just over what eight months ago, nine months ago, been, been with Manhattan about eight months. Uh, and I was just, you know, we've passed the point of no return. It's all it's all bad, at least in academia. Uh, and just, you know, it's a, such a moving target that just in the last month or two, we've seen things like a Wall Street Journal op-ed based on FOIA requests of documents at Texas Tech regarding their hiring in the biology department that's based purely on these diversity statements. And once this one op-ed came out, the next day, the president of the university said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're reevaluating re our uh, all of our hiring. This is not appropriate. And same things happened with UNC, University of Texas, uh, a number of schools that it, it, I'm learning that a lot of these structures to mix metaphors are Potemkin villages uh, guarded by paper tigers. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have to fight this uh, asymmetric warfare, uh, both in terms of the public, both on the, uh, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and, uh, you know, we're learning, we're learning, you know, the, the, the illiberal kind of uh, 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 forces got a head start, particularly when everybody's minds were addled during the pandemic. Uh, but now we, we are definitely seeing pushback. Yeah. I, uh, I've noticed that as well. Um, 
so, you know, to fight back against this, if you're a reasonableist, I guess would be a good way to say that. Not the occult from Parks and Recreation, but an actual <laughs> reasonableist. Uh, it might, it, it makes sense to, if you're a conservative parent, you know, maybe evaluate your choices or it, not even conservative, just any reasonable human being. And you have kids getting ready to go to school. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, between the uh, predatory student loans and especially from the the bigger universities and and the Ivy League. I mean, Harvard, for example, has like a thirty three billion dollar uh, 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 endowment, and they make more money. They make three times more money annually on interest from their endowment than they do on tuition, which means yep. theoretically they can make their tuition for free. Now they're not going to do that. Uh, I don't know why it would be the best. I mean, they, not like anybody needs an additional reason to try to get into Harvard, but um, that would be a pretty good PR for them. But it's not, th this isn't a situation where, you know, stagflation or shrinkflation where they're having to charge more for less of a product because of the uh, the economy. That's just simply not the case, right? We see, what we see is professor uh, salaries relative to inflation have gone up about 30% over the last 20 years and, uh, all of the administrative, there's 2000% more administrative costs now in, in the average yeah, universe. You know what that's I mean? so in doing research for my current book uh, on the illiberal takeover mm -hmm. of, of law schools, uh, working title canceling justice. Um, the just striking bureaucratic bloat started off as general bureaucratic bloat, like lots of assistant deputy deans mm. of this and that then you know rock climbing walls and lazy rivers to compete with each other on amenities and things mm. like this uh which is ridiculous in and of itself and you know uh, uh it should anger people given the uh, rate of inflation a uh, rate of tuition increase and 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 student loans and all that uh but then uh starting about 10 years ago and especially five years ago the the dei uh, aspect of that to the point where there was a survey of the five football power conferences, so fairly large universities, 65 of them, 16% of students at four-year institutions in America attend these 65 universities in the power conferences. The average one of these universities has 45 DEI staffers. That's more than history professors. That's you know four times more, five times more than people to help uh, disabled students, You know that, that, which is a federal requirement under the ADA. Uh, just just incredible uh, uh, expense going to what to what is a, a value subtracting proposition, as I, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't about, you know, student organizations, if someone wants to have like, you know, a, a Mexican folkloric dance club have at it, right, or, or a, you know, you know, history of, 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 of black pride or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah, student organizations, guest lectures, you know, all of that is excluded, but just these organizations that uh, segregate and inflame tensions uh have been driving uh, so much of the of the cost increase and i think ultimately that's what is going to if it's taken down it's going to be on that basis universities are going to have to are going to be forced to have some skin in the game and say you can pay for whatever you want you can charge whatever you want but you're going to have skin in the game in terms of these loans if these students can't pay them back you're going to be on the hook yeah one uh, of the I think that's one of the better solutions for um this crisis we're in and conservative people will say absolutely do not forgive any of these loans because for, for all the obvious reasons and you're, I, I, that's correct probably, but it doesn't help the fact that 25 to 35 year olds are no longer about buying starter homes and fucking up our housing market. There's no, there aren't houses for 150 to $250,000 available any longer and anywhere near any major city because of that very factor, because there aren't buyers for those homes. Um, that we have a lot of big problems. But one of the better solutions I've heard for it was if too many students from your university default on your loans or if you're a bank that provides uh, college loans um, and too many people default on them, then you're responsible as the bank or the, or the academic institution. Like you're setting people up for failure, right? That's not a marketable product. Um, I'm not sure how much I want the government being involved in anything, frankly, because they're just going to take their scrape and move on. But that, that does seem a little more reasonable than the way we're doing things. And you have to think at some point that, you know, what, well, well, we've been seeing it over the past year and a half or so, about 18 months, you're starting to see more and more employers remove the bachelor's degree requirement from just general employment, um, tech companies and customer service companies and places like this are removing that uh, requirement, including the federal government, by the way, recently did that for most positions. 
Um, that, that to me is going to have a trickle down effect probably. Right. I mean, you would think so. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything else to add to that. I think that's a correct statement. So you think it's the fluff is usually what goes when people have to start cutting their budget. Right. Uh, and your position is probably that DEI is going to be on the cutting. We're seeing this in corporate America. There's, there's layoffs in Mm -hmm. some sectors and it seems to be in, in those DI, uh, uh, aspects of the HR offices that, that tend to go first. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, well, let's get into the show. Uh, not that we haven't been <laughs> shooting the shit for a while, but the purpose of the show is uh, the reason it's called Citizen is because I think that this. my position is that you can either bitch and moan about your rights and wait around for the government or somebody else to secure them for you, and as such, you will be a subject of whomever secures your rights, or you can secure them yourself through social citizen action, and that's when you become a citizen. Um, And we have these principles that we we like to kind of guide around because, you know, having true north makes a lot of sense um, to me. It's hard to it's hard to get somewhere if you don't really know where you're going. So you picked one, seven and eleven. We'll get into those. But the first one is uh, I'll support and defend liberty against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Can you break that down for me and why it's important to you? Uh, sure. Um, so one part of the Ilya Shapiro story that I didn't mention at the at the outset, kind of my, my personal background, I, I, I picked it up at, uh, I guess, once I started uh, as, a, as a big law refugee from you know, decided corporate law wasn't for me a few years out of law school. Um, I was born in, in the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, the only thing political we, we got out, we uh, immigrated to Canada when I was four. The only political thing my, my Soviet trained engineer parents taught me was that communism was bad. And I sort of took it from there. Uh, and uh, the idea of uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness sounded pretty good, uh, even better than the Canadian peace, order and good government, which is why I eventually immigrated again to the to the US, uh, which is a whole uh, other uh, discussion. I like to say that, like most Im- immigrants, I do a job that most uh, native born Americans uh, won't, and that's defending the Constitution. Um, <laughs> Good. But uh, you know, I've I've made a career of uh, you know defending uh, liberty a- across a a host of dimensions in various ways. You know, working for the nation's premier libertarian think tank for nearly fifteen years, and uh, and all that. I uh, didn't have a chance to serve in the armed forces again for immigration status uh, reasons, but uh, I did spend a few months in Iraq uh, in '07 as a as a civilian legal advisor to the uh, judge advocate general, um, the, uh, the, the, the the chief judge advocate, rather, the head mm-hmm. JAG, uh, who was advising uh, uh, General Petraeus uh, at the time on rule of law issues. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's, uh, you know, the, the, the Constitution, the American experiment uh, was instituted to protect liberty of various kinds, including for, you know, religious weirdos in New England, including for all sorts of, you know, frontiersmen and 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 those fleeing the the old world's uh, rigid uh, requirements and, and and what have you and through the modern day the the American dream although it's morphed uh, still uh, remains just last night with the the Oscars which I didn't watch mm-hmm. of course because it's a bunch of ridiculousness but the the man who won the um, supporting actor uh, uh, category the, the Vietnam was a Vietnamese uh, 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 boat refugee back in the day and he, he talks about you know this is the only country where. You go from that to uh, being on, on on this Hollywood stage. Um, so that's beautiful. And mm-hmm. those examples still happen. And that's that's what I've uh, from, from policy and legal perspective, what I've what I've uh, worked on. I want to that he's short round, by the way, from Indiana Jones. It's the same yep. kid, which yep. is uh, amazing. He should have got a fucking Oscar for that performance. Frankly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was I, I enjoyed his speech. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, but first generation Americans are that like that's who i like that's who i listen to for opinions on what it's like in other countries not you know people who are like oh america sucks because a little perspective is always nice to have i've been to i i spent quite a bit of time in baghdad for example not a fucking sweet place to be (laughs) Uh, (laughs) under any circumstances uh it's it's pretty horrible um but yeah i think uh this this idea of of defending liberty I, it seems to me people have, you know, very shallow understanding of the constitution and of what liberty really is. You know what I mean? Because when pressed hard enough, people will often 
veer towards authoritarianism, frankly. It's like if you're uh, somebody's doing something you don't like, that's the best time to apply the liberty principle, right? Because it's none of your fucking business what they're doing, provided they're not hurting anybody else. Um, but I feel like understanding exactly what liberty is and what the, the American system, I, I guess what the American promise is, because I had a conversation with somebody about this last week. And when I talk to people who are very critical of the United States history, like these 16, 19 people, um, you know, they say America needs to be re rebuilt from scratch because of all the failures. My position is, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because you're a, you're a literal expert in this field, but my position is that the American system of government is, was built to be a self-correcting one. They were limited by the, the, the inf not just the information, I guess, but they were limited by the political, the political scene, maybe. They were limited by popular opinion at the time to do the right thing, which is to say, immediately outlaw any kind of slavery or oppression. Um, and that, that's not an excuse for the founders, but here's what I find interesting about it. They built a system where over enough time that problem would self-correct and any other problem that pops up would self-correct, right? So when I hear people say something like, well, yeah, you, the Constitution says, or, or the Declaration of Independence says all people are created equal and the Constitution gives these rights to people, those rights didn't apply to black folks or women uh, or whomever else at the time. It's like, yeah, that's correct. Those were mistakes. And those mistakes were corrected by the very well, system. Well, wasn't you're wasn't, to wasn't tear necessarily down. mistakes. It was also compromises to get the Constitution uh, sure. in place in the you know in the first place because they yeah. were half slave states. They mm. you know they they made the compromise that they needed to, and we ended up not being able to resolve that without fighting a great war that fundamentally restructured mm. our our constitutional order. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, hundred percent. And my position is that even in the beginning, the framers knew that this was going to be a problem. I mean, you you yep. Yeah, uh, uh, Franklin and even even Jefferson, who owned more slaves than anybody, was on record that slavery was an abomination, oddly enough. But um, I think the system of government we have when applied correctly is pretty good. It, it is it is designed to be self-correcting. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I know I know we fail quite a bit, but that's kind of the well, it, it so there's an amendment process, obviously. And Jefferson also said that maybe the Constitution is only good for you know a generation, that mm -hmm. every generation we need a revolution. You know, that, that was some of his more outlandish uh, ideas, I suppose. But every generation should should and does have the freedom to uh, amend the Constitution, which used to be done a lot more often. You know, these days we think of amending the Constitution. Well, you only do that for, you know, world historical things like ending slavery or mm -hmm. giving women the right to vote or maybe legalizing the income tax, you know, huge, super huge things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And the reason we think that now is because in the New Deal, especially the Constitution was effectively amended uh, without going through the amendment process. Uh, you know, FDR writing to the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee says, uh, don't let any uh, concerns about the constitutionality of this legislation, no matter how well-founded, detract you from uh, voting it in. Um, you know, they knew what they were doing. Or Social Security in the, in the depths of the, of the Depression. If you couldn't get the supermajority you need to allow Social Security uh, in the Depression, uh, well, maybe it's not the best idea then. If at the time at the, when people were, you know, struggling and starving and maybe go back to the, you know, either, either get that reform through the Constitution, it probably would have passed. Uh, or you're doing it the wrong way. And so you're, you're right. The Constitution is more flexible than a lot of people give it credit for. You know, it's thought of as this outmoded thing. Well, it's not frozen in amber. You know, it was amended, you know, the, the post-Civil War amendments. It's not like those are aberrations. That's how the system's supposed to work. Yeah. Out, uh, outlawing slavery, the 13th Amendment, obviously big, huge. But then what did the 14th Amendment do? It changed the relationship between the citizen and the state and the states and the federal government gave Congress certain powers to enforce civil rights. That, that's very different than the original Constitution. So it's not just what Jefferson and Madison and, and Washington and, and Hamilton thought in mm. 1789 or what have you. It constantly gets uh, gets and can get uh, updated for for each modern age. But uh, but we've we've forgotten about that. And um, the court over time has allowed Congress to get away with abdicating its responsibility to be the place where we resolve our clashes of values or policy views. 
uh, in the sense that Congress passes, you know, the, the Truth, Beauty and Goodness Act of 2023. And then when some deputy undersecretary of whatever department issues a regulation under that piece of legislation and someone's hurt by it and they go to their congressman and say, how could you vote for this? And, gonna, and the congressman says, no, I voted for truth, beauty and goodness. Your, your, your beef is with the, uh, the bureaucracy, which then gets sued, which then the Supreme Court ends up at the end of the day having to resolve, uh, you know, the half a dozen of the biggest political controversies in our life every June. And there's protesters in front of the Supreme Court instead of in front of Congress, which is asked backwards when you think about it. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, certainly that process, it was put into place and made uh, somewhat difficult, right, for a very specific reason. That is to say, or I'm sorry, the reason is that you need consensus and the will to do it. You need both of those things. You need people to agree for the most part to to the tune of about 65% or 70% or whatever it is. And then you need the will to actually do it. Like a lot of people agree on a lot of stuff. And it's like, ah, that doesn't really matter. I'm not doing that. I wonder from your uh, perspective as a, as a constitutional attorney, what, what <clears throat> some folks would challenge the idea that it's a living document. Uh, I think that's historically been proven to be the case, frankly, because that's how we treat it. So it doesn't really matter if there was intent about that or not. But how do you, how do we know what to keep? Like if you're uh, talking to a constitutional originalist, they want every letter, every period to be the same forever, uh, which is that's a viewpoint. That's not right. That, that's not right. To be an originalist is to say you interpret what's in the Constitution based on what was the public meaning when enacted. It does not necessarily expressing a view on what should be changed through the, you know, Amendment Five constitutional mm -hmm. process. Yeah. So your your position then is Article that, Five Amendment process. Right. Yeah. yeah. Your position is that the the term originalist applies to somebody who wants the original intent not necessarily the exact original the original meaning, meaning. So this is this is some uh, confusion about what originalism means as mm. well it's not it's not about what james madison thought about violent video games that you know try to get into his his head and use a ouija board or something it's what do those words mean and mm. how do we apply them given the what 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 are we to make of uh, a reasonable search or seizure in the world of digital surveillance? Well, you analogize to anyway. This is what lawyers do. This is what mm. judges do. It's not a, an automatic uh, kind of you know you plug things into a computer and you get your 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 result. There's still lots of room for and 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 should be for 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 human judgment. But the question of what should be changed, you know, that's a completely separate debate. I went through a process through the National Constitution Center, which is a very interesting institution uh, based in Philadelphia. They have a gorgeous museum um, with uh, statues of the Constitutional Convention. And all, all, it's, it's right across, right on the same plaza as Independence Hall, where the Constitution was hammered out. Uh, and uh, there were teams of conservative, progressive, and libertarian uh, legal scholars. And we debated uh, what uh, changes to make to the Constitution. And ultimately, we're able to agree on, on certain ones. Uh, term limits for Supreme Court justices uh, in exchange for fixing the number at, at nine, um, uh, making it easier to impeach executive officials, not just the president, but just anyone who you know, derogates their duty mm. in various ways. Um, you know, nothing uh, you know, huge and cataclysmic as you, know, you can't get conservatives and progressives to agree on you know, what the rights are or whatever, mm. but, but certain structural changes that, um, you know, People might be surprised to hear that there can be consensus among people that disagree on, you know, things like guns and abortion or, or whatever else uh, that, that people think are the most contentious. It was an interesting exercise, and uh, you can go on their website and, and and take a look at all of that. So there are different ideas, and you can look at each team's proposed uh, amended constitution without uh, trying to achieve achieve consensus. So you know, this is things that that people do uh, think about. The constitution's not perfect, even though I you know. I think it, it was uh, it was pretty pretty darn good, mm. uh, even as it started out, and and, and the amendments. Other mm. than the Progressive Era amendments, uh, we don't think direct election of senators and, and income taxation and uh, <laughs> prohibition, right? That not, not so good ideas. But uh, but anyway, um, uh, that's a separate question. How how would we uh, improve uh, certain things? One thing I, I would do, and this doesn't even take a constitutional amendment, is uh, enlarge the number of congressmen. You know, these days, each congressman uh, represents something like 700,000 people. 
uh, which is, you know, not the way accountability is supposed to work. And that's why we have these debates over gerrymandering and all the mm -hmm. rest of it. We should have 10 times the number of congressmen. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it would cost a little, but but, it, you know, it's 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 penny wise rather than being uh, a pound foolish. And you'd have them being closer to the people. You, you wouldn't have, you know, if there's some eccentrics or radicals, I mean, who cares? They're one of, you know, a thousand people or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever, they're 3000 people. Uh, but anyway, um, that that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I'm I'm definitely going to check into that. Um, that little exercise that you described because that sounds really fascinating. Um, you you consider yourself to be more on the classical liberal or whatever side. Whatever words don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I was I was the captain of of Team Liberty as we called it. Oh yeah, there we go. Uh, so Team Liberty then. What's Team's Liberty position on the Second Amendment? Uh, we're we're in favor of it. I mean, it's it's one of the natural rights uh, going back to you know the Enlightenment time, the the right to to armed self defense. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, we can go into the, the way that that should play out in in jurisprudence. Um, and it's not something that I come from in terms of you know that I was raised with or, or something, right? I came from Russia, I came mm -hmm. to Canada, I've lived in cities all my life, um, you know. But it's uh, uh, anyway that that's that's the overview well that's that's pretty brief for an overview right i mean do you have specific opinions i, I think the biggest uh debate if you want to call it a debate i kind of i don't think it's really a debate any longer it's just kind of mudslinging but uh a disagreement a fundamental disagreement in what it what a militia is right um whether they were broadly yeah. referring to the general public or if it was like specifically uh targeted towards the national guard which is what a lot of people argue yeah i don't think it's the national guard it was um i mean at, at the in in colonial times all able-bodied men between the ages of i think 16 and 64 uh, were part of the militia could be called up or were expected at least to have sort of serviceable firearms if if need be um you know more relevant really is is what the meaning of uh our individual rights was in 1868 when the 14th amendment was enacted because the concern there was less uh overarching government tyranny of the kind that the revolution and more the disarming of um political minorities whether whether freed blacks whether uh union sympathizers in the south uh, confederate sympathizers in the north uh, asians in the west uh, all these different uh, folks who were being um, uh, dispossessed of their firearms, and then they're much easier to oppress them economically and, and, and in other ways. And so the individual uh, right conception for self-defense was even stronger when uh, Congress, uh, what's what lawyers call incorporated uh, the Bill of Rights against uh, the states, including the Second Amendment right to to keep and bear arms. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you have a right to a, a personal tank or, or you know, ICBM or something? Uh, it gets kind of complicated there because I think it really refers to uh, firearms in common use for in common civilian use. Um, you know, there, there's so much misinformation or misunderstanding of you know what an assault weapon is and all these things. And it's not uh, you know, Diane Feinstein, the the, the longtime. Uh, uh, highest ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, basically anything that scared her uh, was an assault <laughs> weapon uh, was was the colloquial definition. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it you know, whether you have a, a a black machine gun looking type of arm, an AR-15 um, doesn't affect its you know rate of fire or uh, uh, uh muzzle velocity or, or caliber of, of rounds that it fires or anything like that. So that's, you know, that's, that, that's a red herring, but you know, mm -hmm. there, there, there are no right is absolute and um, you can have time, place and manner restrictions, just like, you know, free speech is very important. Political speech is at the core of the first amendment. Doesn't mean uh, I can go into your neighborhood at three in the morning and shout exactly what I think of uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump through a bullhorn, right? You, that can that can be stopped. Similarly, there can be regulation of the of the right to arms, but it does exist. It's an individual right, and it's um, um, you know, what most people want it for is uh, is is fine. And by the way, that's not uh, you know, that's not hunting. The the core of the right is not hunting or mm. sports shooting. It's 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 self defense. Uh, yeah, I think that's the best take, to be honest, on all this. People get pretty tuned up about it. I get it. 
I mean, if somebody, if you feel like somebody's trying to attack you from one way or the other, you're going to get pretty tuned up about it. But a good time to be calm and rational and reasonable is when everybody else is not those things. Um, So keep that in mind when you're having this debate, folks, because it is, uh, you know, history is pretty much on our side in that regard. The next principle you chose is I'll promote a quality of opportunity, not outcome, particularly when I'm in a position of power and wealth. Uh, Why did that one jump out to you? Well, this goes to the DEI debate that we've been talking about. Uh, equality of opportunity is is so uh, important. You know, that's what America promises to people. That's why they want to come here. In in so many places, the rules are stacked against them. It's you know, either ar- arbitrary rule by uh, you know a, 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 the aristocratic class of people, or you're discriminated against based on some historical thing or your race or whatever it is. America has at least on paper and how its laws are written uh, guarantees the equality of opportunity the the opposite is equality of outcome and for that you have to you have to hobble people uh, it's like the uh, harrison bergeron the short story mm-hmm. by uh, kurt vonnegut where uh, you know the best dancers had to wear weights on their ankles and the smartest people had to you know wear these headphones that had a constant annoying buzzing so they couldn't focus properly uh, just so you t- to equalize it's a very communistic uh, mm. way of doing things you know we think of communism as equalizing wealth but if you think about equalizing talent or or outcome that's that's what uh, uh, trying to guarantee uh, equal outcome is and that's what the e part of dei the equity mm. has uh, so harmfully been uh, uh, become to stand for why do you think it is uh, that people are so focused on this specifically right now because it used to be that we respected people um because of their resilience right like somebody would tell you their story and they wouldn't say well i've got uh adhd and uh came from a single parent home so you know i'm not doing that great people instead would say well you know i had some struggles but here are my accomplishments and that would be their identity rather than the 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 latter part so i wonder why do you think that changed over time because it's very it seems to be to another, me. yeah, no, it seems to be another uh, uh, example of this you know, therapizing of of public policy. Um, uh, you know, we, we can't acknowledge that people have different uh, experiences or, or 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 in inborn talents or or what have you. That that seems uh, uh, unjust. And so, if uh, if there are unequal outcomes, it must be because of some. Uh, structural injustice in the world that we need to remedy in some in some manner um, and just you know removing the actual barriers uh, isn't enough or even providing uh, you know remedial uh, services uh, isn't enough you know you you went to a, a you know a, a bad high school and well you know rather than just you know making sure you get extra tutors over the summer before college or something like that we need to you know I don't know what, uh, you know, equalize all the grades or get rid of grades or, you know, it's, it's bizarre. And it's gotten to the point where in the name of equity, um, again, going to higher ed, cause I'm just so, thinking about that. So, so, so much these days, mm. getting rid of SATs or LSATs for law school, MCATs for medical school, it has the perverse effect of hurting equity in the sense that those standardized tests were put in there. So kids from underprivileged backgrounds at crappy schools, uh, could show that they were just as smart as the rich kids getting all of the extra support because it's hard to compare GPAs and, you know, AP mm. classes aren't offered everywhere and all that. Uh, but if you score on this objective test, uh, which, uh, you know, d- despite money thrown at it, it's hard, harder to game than, you know, providing extracurriculars to throw up on your, mm. on your resume and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, getting rid of that will um, make it harder. Uh, for kids that have that 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 tough scrabble background uh, uh, to succeed. It also makes people more suspicious of their success, which is very unfortunate yes. because yes. I hate when somebody looks at a successful person and goes, man, you're really lucky. You, you, ha- you got a great life. It's like, it's not luck, dude. I've been working my ass off a lot for a very long time to achieve this. And I think it casts this shadow of doubt over uh, and, and maybe not for the individual, but generally speaking for the for the institution it definitely is appropriate i think because um it it comes back to epistemology we just don't have 
a true north anymore, anywhere in our culture. One thing that everybody looks at, and you know, I thought for a while it was like harming children. That would be the one thing where nobody would ever allow that in our society. It wouldn't be, it would be a taboo thing to even speak of. And clearly that's not the case because now just a virtue signal people are taking their children to these uh, uh, like drag shows to watch them, watch a grown man wag his genitals in front of children. So I, I thought that might be the last barrier, but it seems like there's nothing left. What I don't get about this uh, quote unquote debate over uh, uh, you know, drag queen story hour is it's not like, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago before, you know, trans rights or, or mm. whatever, you know, people took their kids to strip clubs and, you know, <laughs> yeah. to see biological women twerking or something. Mm. I mean, it, it's just not a thing. So I don't know why, you know, it's, it's fine to, you know, teach your kids to accept people as they come or what have yeah. you but but in this manner it's i think it's the it's the drag part more than the queen part that people are, are objecting to it's very bizarre yeah I, I can't i can't put my finger on why it is because look it's not like kids are doing this on their own they're not signing up for this and then going to it their parents are taking them and sitting yeah. there with them through the performance if you want to call it that um but i thought that would be the last bastion of some kind of consensus on what is and is not appropriate as an adult human being in a Western society to do, right? But we don't even have that any longer. So I, I wonder how we're going to get back to this. How are we going to get back to everybody being able to look at something and, and, and identify the objective realities in that thing, even if they disagree on, in, on the circumstance or on the meaning of that thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I think it does devalue uh, legitimate uh, uh, achievements. Mm. So um, the last one is I will live a life worth dying for. And we get a lot of pretty disparate responses to this one because people have different life experience. Uh, but I wonder from your perspective what you what that means to you. Um, I want to live a, a meaningful life. I want to leave it all uh, on the field. Um, uh, I want, uh, you know, people, you know, narrowly construed this sentence might be, you know, is what I'm doing worth the sacrifice of those who die in war to defend my freedom and stuff like that. But I think it means um, much more than that in the sense that uh, if I died today, um, you know, would my family or could I, you know, objectively look back and say that this was a life well lived? Uh, I remember I, I uh, first encountered this phrase, or at least that I can consciously remember, uh, a life well lived, as the um, the the biography, the video biography uh, of uh, a British actor, Paul Eddington, who played the minister and then the prime minister in in Yes Minister, Yes Prime mm. Minister. This show, which is you know much you know beyond before there was West Wing or Veep or any of these other political shows, was just a, a brilliant send up of the relationship between politicians and bureaucrats. UK specific, sure, but a lot of good mm. insights there as well as brilliant comedic acting. But anyway. Uh, his biography, the video biography, was was entitled um, documentary was entitled "A Life Well Lived." And I, you know, I, I ever since that I keep encountering the phrase um, every now and again. You know, just last week I went to a memorial service uh, of the husband of a friend who died all too young, tragically, age forty eight, pancreatic cancer, and was just a pillar of his community an entrepreneur, you know, I know his wife because she's a, a law professor and we're in similar professional circles there. And she worked with my wife and the government and all these different things, but I'd never actually met her husband, but um, just a, a remarkable individual by all accounts. There's you know, hundreds of people overflowing uh, the, the space came to this memorial service, including several judges and Justice Thomas was there whom she had, had clerked for. Um, uh, and what, what people talked about, you know, was just you know a life well lived and you know hopefully i don't go at 48 hopefully i have a you know longer full life get to meet my grandkids i have four kids now under age seven so we're in the thick of it here but um th that's you know a life of meaning not wasting time not wasting opportunities um and trying to use uh your god-given gifts and talents uh, along with you know the, the 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 training that your parents and others imbued to you and 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 whatever else the whole confluence of 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 a life experience to 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 do the most you can to to advance uh, uh, principles that are important to you and that that's that's what I'm trying to do and the, 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 a gloss that 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 came on that 
in my last year with with my so-called lived experience with Georgetown is that I'd always been a, a big fan of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the, the dissident Soviet writer. Uh, and, and he had an important uh, article speech uh, entitled Live Not by Lies. Um, you know, let the lie, let the lie triumph, but not through me. And that's certainly become an additional mantra, an additional aspect of this idea that I want to live a life well lived. That's really interesting. So wh one of the things I talk about a lot is that <clears throat> in any society throughout human history, the aristocracy will very commonly protect the aristocracy before any particular institution or principle, because it matters to them to be separate from the rest of people, I think. Um, but from your perspective, it's kind of the inverse. You are way more dedicated to the institution or principle, the value of the institution, not the institution itself, but the fact that the institution does the right thing and provides the right service. In this case, the institution being constitutional law or academia or whatever. I think that's the appropriate way to think about things, right? Like it's- Well, I mean, I want to protect my family, first of all. I mean, certainly, we kind yeah. of have these 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 circles of, of, of influence and, and generosity and, and, and attachment. And, uh, you know, I believe in family communism, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm, I'm demanding that my four month old twins contribute to as much as they uh, as much as they get or anything like that. Uh, and we, we run a, a somewhat authoritarian uh, household. Uh, you know, I guess more my more my, my my you know, what do they say that the man is the head and the, and the woman is the neck or something like that. <laughs> and that, 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 that's certainly the case. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a I'm, I'm committed to certain ideals. You know, I'm, I'm very cognizant that my parents sacrificed to get me into this society where uh, I can take advantage of opportunities and, 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 you know, be the best. They didn't care what I went into or what I studied as long as I, you know, work hard and I, and I, and I, and I tried to be the best that I could be uh, in that. Uh, and uh, that's, that's important to me. I, I'm trying to instill that uh, in my kids and I, I will be for sure as they get, as they get older. Um, but that's, that's what it means uh, uh, for me. I'm dedicated to my family, but beyond that, I, I you know, uh, I want to live a life of, of integrity and impact. It's mm. a really good answer. Uh, look, I appreciate your time today. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before you get out of here? Uh, anything you're reading or anything you've got <laughs> uh, for people to read from your, from your catalog as well? Um, lately I've been reading this journal called Sapir S A P I R. It's kind of Jewish focused, but it's, you know, part of it's religious, part of it's secular, part of it's, you know, cancel. There's a cancel culture issue. There's a social justice issue. They're all the fascinating publication. You know, I, I read anything I can get. Mm. Um, although these these days it's hard because I'm I'm writing so much and traveling and trying to trying to read uh, kids books to my kids as well and help help them read and and, and things like that. But uh, a lot of my thoughts, you know, I I, I write a fair bit for you know uh, media mm. organizations that that you can recognize, Newsweek and Wall Street Journal and National Review and whatnot. Uh, stuff that that doesn't make it for a conventional op-ed like that, I put in my Substack, Shapiro's Gavel. So whether it's um, you know, my ruminations on uh, the Super Bowl or Bull Durham or my experiences nearly getting canceled, but not quite at the University of Denver last week uh, or the analysis of the Supreme Court opinion or something like that. Uh, you'll find lots of good stuff there. And there, of course, is a an unpaid and a paid option. Um, mm. So ho hopefully that's uh, worth your listeners while. Absolutely. Look, uh, again, thanks for coming today. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yes, sir. And thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure you check out Ilya Shapiro's books. Check out, check out his blogs. Check him out in the media. And uh, be a good citizen.